He says that we are not to, in those good times, in those times when things are going well for us, think that this will always be the case. Think that there won't be an evil day when Satan will come against us. You know, it's called the evil day, and it doesn't mean 24-hour day, I'm afraid. There will be an evil day when you're going to get bumped and bruised and scratched and beaten and bloodied by Satan. And the question is, will you still be standing or will you be just a mess on the floor? The only way that you'll stand, and yes, you will be hurting, but the only way that you'll stand is in the might of Christ. We have to understand that we are passing through this present evil world as pilgrims and we are going to get attacked. We are going to get tempted. We are going to, uh, to get waylaid. We are going to meet, to, to uh, cite Pilgrim's Progress, you know I love that book. We're going to meet Apollyon somewhere on the road. We're going to meet lions somewhere on the road. But do we meet them with God because we've been walking with God and we've been putting ourselves, as it were, the flesh to death? Or do we go, do we face these foes in the flesh? That's not the way to face these spiritual foes. Verses 11 through 14, though, completely ring the changes. God hates sin. God will punish sin. And we all know the Lord is very, very long-suffering. We know he's very merciful. We know that, you know, the first time and the second time and maybe the hundredth time that we mess up, he does not come down on us like a ton of bricks. He is merciful and he is long-suffering. But sooner or later, those chastisements and those Issues will come upon us. Sometimes, I, I wish this wasn't the way in the Paul Hennebury logic of how I would do things. But sometimes we will be doing well, as it were, in our Christian lives. And these pains and these difficulties will come to us because we are putting to death the flesh. And sometimes they come upon us. When we're not. Sometimes the hard times come upon the godly. And sometimes the, the devil's very, very happy to have you a nominal Christian or at least a half-hearted Christian, a not fully committed Christian. Just, you can just, you know, your life just can just tick on by not really doing anything for the Lord not really doing anything uh, in yielding to the Holy Spirit within you, just kind of eking your life away in semi-comfort, Satan leaving you alone because you are no danger to him. Whichever it is, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
There is a judgment to come, a judgment seat of Christ for your works, and there is a day of restoration. I want to be the last person that judges a person based on their what I perceive to be their spirituality. I know the plague of my own heart. But I do want to encourage us, if we are kind of lackadaisical in our Christian lives, if we're not really engaged with the truth and with the devil in these in our lives, we need to get into the battle. Okay? We need to stand up and be counted. We need to die to self. Because the rewards are great. It's just not the rewards in this life. Okay? But there will be a restoration. Look at this in verse 11. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David. This is God speaking to Israel, which has fallen down. And repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. He's speaking here uh, prophetically about the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, Solomon's temple, by the Babylonians about 150 years after this. But he's also speaking in a metaphorical sense of the kingdom of Israel, which should be ruled over all of the tribes of Israel, ruled over by a Davidic monarch. And that has fallen to the wayside too. God, though, is going to build it up again. There has not been a Davidic king over the 12 tribes of Israel since the days of Solomon, about 1,000 B.C., when the tribes split off. Does that mean that God's covenant with David, does that mean that it just lasted for 40 years, maybe 80 years? Let's give it 70 years because Solomon's end wasn't that great, was it? Just 70 years? I mean, that's, that's not even men- worth mentioning in a footnote. Or are we to believe that even though that kingdom, that Davidic kingdom, only lasted for some 70 years, maybe 80 years maximum, that's going to be restored in our future? It's been 3,000 years. But what is 3,000 years compared with eternity? What's 3,000 years compared with going to Jerusalem in a million years' time and there is the king in Jerusalem and there are the 12 tribes that have been restored and raised up by a faithful covenant God? That's what I believe in. I'm not looking at Israel's past and their performance. I'm not looking at their dismal failures. I'm not looking at the fact that, you know, 
that was a, an unsuccessful experiment. It just didn't work. I'm looking at a God who has made a covenant and he will see it through. That's what I'm looking at. He's going to raise up the tabernacle of David again. He's going to repair the ruins. He's going to do it. We don't have time for it, but Zechariah chapter 6 prophesies this. It says, I will build the temple again. I will rebuild it, God says. That they may possess the remnant of Edom. That would be modern-day Jordan. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing, not will do this thing. This is a prophecy. But does this thing. Why? Because even though it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. It's absolutely as certain as if it had already been done. This is why when Jesus says to you, That if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have, present tense, everlasting life. And you look at yourself and you think, this is everlasting life? My knee hurts. My hair's going. I'm getting older. More pains in my body. I seem to be going, as far as life is concerned, it seems to be ebbing out. This is everlasting life? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It just hasn't arrived yet. But you have it. It's certain. Absolutely certain. How certain is it? As certain as my word in a microphone at a pulpit? No. It's as certain as the word of God that comes to you. It's as certain as the fact that there is a creator of the world and a recreator of the world and a recreator of your body and a restorer of your soul. His existence, his word, his promise. Behold, the days are coming, verse 13 says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that sows seed. What's that depicting? What's the picture there? Well, yes, but what's the picture? The picture is that there's going to be so much abundance. Things are going to grow so well that uh, the person who's planting needs to hurry up. Otherwise, they're going to get overtaken by the reaper because there's so much to wheat to reap. That's the promise. That's the abundance that lies ahead. And what is uh, spoken of as a nat- of the natural world, obviously, can be spoken of of your body and soul. Verse uh, 14 says, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. See how he calls them? My people Israel. Says, I'm going to destroy them. Verse 8, now it's my people Israel. They shall build the way cities and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They will also make gardens and eat fruit from them. 
from them, excuse me, can you see the earthiness of this promise? This is not floating around on clouds playing harps. This is real life, real creational life, real uh, living upon a, an earth, a, 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 in a world with plants and trees and grass and flowers and the things, the environment that we've put it, been put in. Only a beautiful, much more beautiful, much more perfect environment. One fitted for those who are going to be glorified and those who no longer will suffer the ravages of sin. So Israel destroyed, verse 8. Israel, the promise of restoration, verses 11 through 14. And that restoration will not suffer decline or declension again. I think one of the most wonderful and blessed promises to a sinner, to somebody who constantly struggles to be what he seemingly can't be, and that is like Jesus. One of the best things that you can say to them is that once you cross the line, once you enter into the fulfillment of God's promises, you won't apostatize, you won't, you won't decline, you won't have doubts, you won't, you know, go off and, and, and get tempted again. You will always be faithful to God. Your calling and your, the inclination of your heart will coalesce forever. So that this time that we have to fight against sin, this fight, uh, time that we have for self-judgment, yes, using the Bible to judge ourselves, this time that we have to walk in the strength of Jesus instead of our own strength, doesn't last for very long. Once we get into eternity, once we get into the kingdom, we don't fight sin again. We don't fight pain again. We don't fight doubt. We don't fight anxiety. That's all gone. It's all behind us. It's all dead. This is the time to deal with it. This is the time for battle. This is the time that we engage in these things in the strength of God, knowing that there will be a time when, well, to put it in the the, uh, words of verse 15, I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up. I will plant them and no longer will they be pulled up. I want God, as it were, to plant me in a kingdom where I will no longer have to look over my shoulder because, again, I'm dealing with sin. Again, I'm dealing with uh, frustrations. Again, I'm interacting with things that make me struggle. And make me go out to God for, and cry out for mercy. No longer will I have to do that. God will plant me 
and I will never be pulled up. This is our covenant God. He's made a covenant to David. He's going to see it through. You'll see it. You might not believe it right now. You might believe these people who spiritualize half of the Bible. Okay, once you get into the kingdom, I am telling you, okay, there's going to be no spiritualization of God's promises. They're going to come through exactly as God has promised them. And people are going to have egg on their faces, okay? Many of these scholars, many of these people will have egg on their faces. It won't stay there for very long, but it'll be there when they realize that God actually meant what he said. And there was no need for spiritualization. It's the same thing there for the same thing that we can say about David's kingdom. The same thing that we can say about Abraham's covenant is what we can say about our position in the new covenant in Christ. These promises of eternal life, of eternal peace, of no tears, of no worry, of no pain, these are literally true. Why? Because God's taken an oath to do them for you and for me. And you will see that God does not renege on his oaths. It might take a long time, much longer than we want it to take. But once we're in eternity, once we leave all of this behind, it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, you're in eternity. What does it matter? You're going to think about this again? So with that, let us uh, enter the battle. Let us die to self. Let us follow the Lord, trusting in his promises and trusting that one day we know for sure that our struggle will come to an end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, we would, as it was, uh, understand that we've been called to service. We've been called as a Christian soldier uh, to take up spiritual arms, as it were, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't do this by being independent. We can't do this by putting our own choices first. We can only do it by dying to ourselves and living to Christ. We can only do it by humbling ourselves and not exalting ourselves and waiting, waiting for you to exalt us in due time. I pray that for myself and I pray that, Lord, for everyone here. Encourage us, Lord, as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen.